0: Hello Brian's, and possibly not Brian's. this is all the Brian's where a Brian interviews Brian's, And this episode is brought to you by Bass Times Magazine, edited by Brian Brasher. Bass Times, where Brian is the Bassmaster. So a few months ago I happened to be in North Carolina and I was able to interview this Brian in person at Full Steam Brewery, which uh, despite a little background noise from the rain that day was the perfect place to raise a glass to this Brian's area of expertise.
1: I'm Brian Roth. Uh, I do a couple of things. Uh, My nine to five job, I work in a communications office uh, at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina. And then nights and weekends, I spend far too much time thinking and talking and writing about beer. Uh, As a freelance writer, I've written with um, All About Beer Magazine, Beer Advocate Magazine, and uh, Good Beer Hunting, as well as uh, my own blog, This Is Why I'm Drunk. Awesome. Okay, so we're gonna probably focus more on the beer side of your life. That is ideal. So I think that's what more of the Bryans, (laughs) they're a drunk bunch, so uh, how did this come about? Sure. Um, So I moved to North Carolina in the summer of 2008. uh, And before that, I had started getting interested in beer a little bit back home in upstate New York. uh, Interested being just kind of uh, Sam Adams and uh, import beers, Sam Smiths, stuff like that. Uh, But when I got to North Carolina, Uh, Here in Durham, there was a brewery opening uh, full steam, which we happened to be sitting at at the moment. And so it really kind of, I guess, picked my interest just because I got to see firsthand kind of what was going on and have beer made almost down the street from me. So that kind of got me a little more interested in what beer was. And then I made a friend who was a home brewer and I got into home brewing myself. And I started, uh, I started my blog, This Is Why I'm Drunk, as an excuse to start tracking the beers that I had and the beers that I was making, partially as you know, tasting notes or just kind of notes along the process, which I thought would be a good way just to look back on in the future. Uh, and so I started getting a little bit more serious about writing, probably about a year after doing that. I come from a journalism background. I used to work in newspapers. And so I just, I wanted to write, and so it eventually turned into writing more kind of narrative pieces, looking at um, the sociological, psychological business sides of the beer industry, uh, which kind of then eventually got me in touch with uh, the people I work with now at uh, magazines and uh, Good Beer Hunting, which is a long form online site as well.
0: So I have to ask, you know, how did your name, This is Why I'm Drunk, uh, come about for your
1: personal uh, publication? Yeah, so. It came, I started writing at a time, this is 2008, where I saw a lot of other people starting their own beer blogs, too. And so my initial thought was I needed something that was going to stand out amongst the crowd. Uh, and at the time, too, I had a friend on Facebook who once a week would be, uh, he had a, an album called This Is Why I'm Fat. <laughs> and so it would be him showing pictures of food that he made at home. And so, okay, I can, I can play off of this. And so I just picked this is why I'm drunk, thinking, OK, so it'll be smart enough to catch people's attention. And uh, the thing I have to make clear with people when I meet them for the first time, too, if they haven't read or know my blog, is it's a silly name but pretty serious content in terms of kind of like what I'm writing about, what I want to write about. I have a, a real honest, genuine interest in the industry, it's people, and what goes on. Uh, and I usually uh, am not writing after drinking too much. So at least I got that going for me.
0: Okay. So had you ever considered the name uh, Roth IPA or did you, you know, not want to be pigeonholed into uh, IPAs or do you think beer drinkers generally don't have Roth
1: IRAs and invest Uh all their money in beer? So Uh it doesn't matter. I didn't want people to get confused with uh, monetary policy or or, uh, financial advice with drinking as well. Uh, so I just kind of steered clear of that route I think okay. yeah, probably uh, better for them as well as myself
0: Yeah, I think I think you, I think you chose <laughs> a, a good name yeah. um, So for the people that are new to like beer media in general Can you walk us through a little bit like what the main kind of beer publications are out there?
1: Yeah, I mean there's a lot uh, in a, a lot of the magazines too The big thing is that they don't necessarily cater to a very geeky audience a lot of them are specifically made with the idea that they have average consumers in mind or people who may just want to learn something about beer. So All About Beer, which is I think in its 37th year right now is the longest running publication, uh, beer publication in the US. I've worked with them for uh, a little over two years, I think. Um, uh, Beer Advocate's another prominent magazine. Uh, There's Draft Magazine, Beer Connoisseur, uh, others that I know (laughs) I'm missing out on. Uh, in terms of physical copies. Uh, Good Beer Hunting, uh, which is a long-form website, really focuses heavily on photography and kind of long journalistic writing, is probably one of the preeminent uh, digital-only platforms for people, too. Okay. And then it really is just a wild collection of blogs, uh, amongst mine is included. Uh, Jeff Allworth, who's a, a great beer writer based in Portland, Oregon, has a long-running beer blog called Beervana, uh, which is just a wealth of knowledge. Uh, Stan Hieronymus, who's in St. Louis, uh, writes a blog called Appalachian Beer. Uh, he's also just one of the longer-tenured writers who's just, uh, he has written books on his knowledge. He literally wrote the book on hops. Uh, and so there's there's uh, all sorts of places, whether you're, you're uh, you know, a beer nerd, uh, and you're really kind of deep in the weeds, and I think that's where I get a lot of readers from my blog, just because I do get really kind of specific. But there's plenty of stuff for just casual people too. Whether you pick up stuff, you might read something on Thrillist or Paste. Uh, it's all over the place, honestly.
0: Yeah. So, so let's say there's a, a Brian out there who's a, you know still drinking his Keystone his natty light. I'm sorry, Brian. Yeah. So he he you know he's. He's kind of in the shit beer world. His just eyes haven't been opened yet. Is there a, one of those publications that's more accessible than the others, or is there like a book or something that you would recommend a Brian out there that wants to get you know more knowledgeable about the the craft beer out there so he can actually appreciate it and just know where to even start in a bottle shop? Yeah.
1: So um, so Brian, who's really interested, who, who wants to be interested in beer. It's easy to go online and just find whatever the hell you want. You know, it, there, are, like I said, you know, there are all sorts of beer blogs. There are all sorts of people, um, and that's great. Randy Mosher's book, Tasting Beer, is kind of one of the Bibles of beer writing. Uh, it's very accessible and has, you know, it's kind of an encyclopedia. Jeff Allworth, who did literally write The Beer Bible, it's called The Beer Bible, um, <laughs> is uh, a great kind of... Um, It's almost a textbooky thing, but written in such a way that it's easy to flip through and just pick where you want to read and go from there. Uh, And those two are really good, I think, for people who just maybe want to learn a little bit more. A great place to start, I think, um, might be just picking up one of those magazines that you find in Barnes & Noble or at Bottle Shop or something like that, where you'll find Beer Advocate, Draft, All About Beer. Even if there are things in it that might seem intimidating in terms of kind of the depth of stories, I think a lot of times the editors for these publications do a really good job trying to think about the average consumer, and so the writing is applicable and kind of um, should be, hopefully, interesting to somebody who's just wants to learn more about what the hell an IPA is, for example.
0: Um, so if we were to throw you into a bottle shop like tomorrow, like how do you choose what you buy as someone who's not a, someone who's been stuck drinking as Keystone as Bush? <laughs>
1: You know, As someone who thinks too much about beer, yeah, you know, I least. need to set aside 20 minutes. <laughs> does your wife At usually least. come with you or not? Or oh she, God, no. Okay, yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm learning that with my girlfriend now. She she refuses to go with me too.
1: There was uh there was a routine. Uh, there's a shopping center that's not terribly far from where we live here in Durham, where there's um, there's a TJ Maxx and a Michaels store that's a couple store fronts down from a Total Wine which is a regional wine and beer store, and it's super cliched and stereotypical. And she'll go look in the other stores and I'll just go kill time wandering the aisles in the total <laughs> one. Uh, which is mostly what I do in anywhere I go. There's a few bottle shops here in Durham that I go to a lot, and usually it's the same routine every time where I walk first to the area where it's the newest stuff that's come in. Yeah. And I'll do a little laugh around that, pick up, you know, try to see what it is. And then it's literally just walking up and down aisles. Um, You know, I mean, are you usually looking for like
0: one or two, or do you try to do like a mix and match six pack and like. For the week or you like just want your one beer for that day
1: yeah it depends where my mind's at honestly yeah yeah <laughs> where my mind and my liver are at um, yeah if it's a case where you know because a lot of places they'll do you can just pick out one of whatever you want so that makes it easy if i'm feeling rambunctious and adventurous one weekend uh the last few times though honestly it's been a case where i've gone the full six I felt very strong in my choice. Yeah. And so I'll just go for a full sixer and then maybe grab like a large format bottle as something special too. Um, yeah. But it's really just reading a lot of labels and then just trying to find what kind of catches my eye at that moment in time. What is your just general consensus or opinion on like the rating systems
0: that are I've seen there now and like those shelf talkers that? you will have just a numerical score next to a beer, and what's your just simplified uh, opinion of it? Is it a necessary evil, like what there
1: is? I don't think there is a simple opinion from me okay. on this one. So there, there's so many layers to this. From, uh, and this is stuff that I've explored a lot on my blog and for some stories I've written for publication yeah. too. Uh, from the sociological to the psychological aspect of rating, the benefits, the, the, the fallbacks of it. The easy answer is it's definitely beneficial because worst case scenario is you're providing some kind of general guidelines. So somebody, whether it's an expert or someone who's very brand new, just drinking beer in general, they know if they see a 95 next to something, a 95 means good. No matter what the score is, uh, because it's average, there's at least some kind of group think in it. So while it subjectively gets to that number, it's objectively average to the point where it gives you a good idea Uh, and so if you're crowdsourcing numbers then that kind of signals at least to whoever's looking at it that there's enough people who think highly of this that this beer must be quote unquote good which is I think handy and really takes away some of the uh, well hopefully takes away some of the snobbishness or the kind of the threatening nature that people may feel about trying to wade too too far into the waters of beer because there is so much to know and yeah. think about.
0: So this is something I'm wondering about, uh, you know, the perks of being a beer writer. Uh, is there is there the equivalent of, like, press passes for, like, beer events? Like, when you go to a beer festival, oh, yeah. are you, like, you know, just getting in there for free? Are you are you cutting lines at breweries? Do you, do you go up to your tab here at Full Seam and you're like... I'm with Rolling Stone, a.k.a. this is why I'm drunk, and then all of a sudden your tab <laughs>
1: disappears. No, be, uh, fame in the beer industry and about $5 will get you a beer at the bar. Um, there's, uh, I, I mean, I, get, I have the benefit. I do get there are beer samples. Passes. There are press passes. Okay. Um, there are beer samples that I get. Um, which can be good and bad because, the, again, this gets back to this whole idea of subjectivity. Yeah. So if I'm getting a beer from a brewery, how does that change my mind about how I perceive them and think about them? But the flip side of that too is that, you know, here I'm here in North Carolina and I do not have access to all the beer that is made across the country. There's over 5,300 breweries in the country right now. And if it's the case, if I get to try a beer from somebody that I would never see or get to try otherwise, that makes me a smarter person in terms of my understanding of beer and my writing and what I'm able to think about and accomplish. Yeah. And so it's just trying to be self-aware of what those biases are. <laughs> um, But no, I'm not famous, people don't recognize me. (laughs) Uh, I've been lucky enough to make friends in the beer industry. So for example, here at Full Steam, uh, because he also lives here in Durham, and I know him and I've seen him a bunch of times, uh, I know Sean Wilson, who runs Full Steam, uh, who's a wonderful guy, and you know, when I see him, hello, shake your hand, and oh, that's great, but uh, I'm just a regular dude who thinks about beer way too much. You need to sell the perks of the beer industry now <laughs> to aspiring beer writers. Mid-April, uh, there's the Craft Brewers Conference, which is an annual event. for the, It's put on by the trade organization for craft brewers in the US, the Brewers Association. I have a press pass for that, because yes. uh, there, there's always a large contingent of, of press that are there to help to cover it, and you get to meet people, yeah. and it gives you a really great insight in the industry. Great American Beer Festival out in Colorado held every, every October. I had a press pass for that this past year and that is literally just i mean the event is going to drink beer it's a beer festival yeah, yeah so yeah. there's that but it's also a case where it allows me opportunity to meet my peers in the industry meet brewers brewery owners yeah i always try to think of these things as opportunities to make me smarter and better at what i like to do oh of course so it's that glass half full very optimistic not i'm selling out kind of thing <laughs> i think i hope um probably
0: <laughs> so uh now that you've written about beer more, like when you try beer, like you're trying these samples everywhere. Like, are you like a wine sommelier, where are you good at describing, like
1: a blind tasting uh, taste? No, Would you be able to do that, <laughs> is your palate that
0: sophisticated now?
1: No. So, uh, it's it's palates can be such a strange thing um, because I there are people that I know yeah. who you know through training and just the way that their tongues and brains work, yeah. they can pick out the most intricate flavors and describe them in the most imaginative terms, to which I have no comprehension. <laughs> you know, they'll pick out, you know, um, Band-Aid in one beer or Dirty Sock in this beer. Yeah. Um, I work in broad strokes. I can probably do okay with styles, I think. Um, but for the most part, the way that my brain works is that uh, I deal in memories memories. And so if I have a beer that has a particular flavor, I think back toward some very specific instance in my mind. So there's uh, sometimes with Saison's, which is a Belgian style, that are based on uh, flavors you get from yeast. Sometimes the flavors that the yeast create remind me of a kind of rubber, Mm -hmm. which also kind of puts my mind is that smell you get when you open up a box of new shoes that you just bought. (laughs) <laughs> it's like this very distinctive new shoe smell where it's kind of fresh leather and rubber and it's just kind of it's it very pungent so I get something like that or there is one that's yeah, uh, funny
0: because like the, the cliche in like the wine industry is like it's like a freshly like open
1: can of tennis balls. Just you can there's say like stone fruit. fruit. Yeah, just like say stone shit. fruit and you're good to go. <laughs> there's like, with wine, I think the same thing you could do with beer if you just pick out some generic fruit and just say like, oh, it tastes of ripe citrus on a summer's eve after I've cut the lawn. Yeah. Which to be honest with you is something someone could very seriously seriously say about a beer uh that's probably not me yeah no and i actually like
0: like looking through like the topics of the articles you've written over the years it's like there's a lot of uh variety it's kind of all over the way all over the place in a good way is there any article that you've written then that's like gotten a larger response uh in terms of like comments from beer fans or just friends uh, that over other articles, since you've covered such a wide variety?
1: Yeah, so two things definitely come to mind. Uh, one nerdy, one less so. <laughs> um, so I've been writing my blog for about five years, and a lot of it has dealt, even especially in the last few years, has dealt with this idea of how our biases influence our perceptions and decisions, and what aspects within the beer industry Uh, helped to buoy that. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote a piece that I think was probably about three years in the making um, that focused on why certain styles of beers made in a certain way receive more attention and higher ratings than others. Um, It's more or less a layman's academic paper, more or less. It's something like 3,000 words with citations to academic (laughs) writings looking at certain aspects of how you can create a beer, more or less, to cheat the system and make it super popular and highly thought of. Um, And that, just on a kind of, like, academic thinking term, is something I'm really proud of just because it's something that um, I worked, as I was writing it, I realized that was years in the making, and no one else had done something like that, and it's something I can point to as an actual, like, well-thought academic piece that can prove a point. One of the topics that I'm really passionate about, which I've written on and off over the last two years or so, has been the ideas of um, diversity and inclusion in the beer industry, Uh, which is something, you know, I recognize I'm a straight, white male, and there's only so much that I can do and understand. Yeah. Uh, about these topics, and especially as it pertains to the beer industry, which has so long been dependent on straight white men, yeah, um, yeah, with, be- with beards. With beards. I do yeah. not have a beard, uh, so at least I got that yeah. going for me. But everyone out there in audio, land, he- this Brian does not have a beard. No, this <laughs> Brian. Uh, I'm 32, looking about 20. Uh, and so, you know, it was a case where a couple years ago, I just got kind of fed up with. The marketing, the the lack of attention toward uh, women and minorities, and the attempts to bring them in in an inclusive manner to the beer industry, and so it's something that I've tried to really, in in the best way I can, through my writing, to shine a light on, to get other people to talk about. Yeah. And so uh, probably the most popular thing I've wrote on that topic was uh, it's been kind of in in a few chunks. So last year at um, the Craft Brewers Conference, I raised this issue to leaders of the Brewers Association who had not thought about diversity and inclusion before. They had nothing on the books, there's no mission statement, no definitive, um, no definitive kind of thing that they say when it comes to, yes, we welcome all sorts of people aside from uh, there's one member, Julia Hertz, who has written about it before, but it's not included in their credo More or less Uh, and so they've slowly started changing that and so I've written a couple things interviews and opinion paces trying to highlight the fact that this is something in a changing society where uh, for better and worse we're talking about the place of women and minorities in all sorts of fields and industries and This is something I think needs to be talked about in beer as well Uh, and so that's something that I continue to focus on because I think you know, I'm, I care very much about it and I want other people to think about it too.
0: Okay, so here's a potentially even harder question. Good. Is there a craft uh, beer bubble?
1: <laughs> um, well, so no. The, <laughs> easy an- answer. The, the easier answer is no. Okay. Uh, there's gonna be all sorts of, uh, of opinions on this. <laughs> um, my, my fallback is I always look at data. Um, And all of the data that I've looked at and I've written about, in addition to uh, Bart Watson, who's the economist for the Brewers Association, has also written a lot about this. Um, Bubbles exist in geographical senses, so, you know, we can look at the broad United States craft beer situation right now, and the numbers were recently released. Uh, 2016 was one of the slowest years for growth in the last decade for craft beer, uh, for bre- the craft beer defined by the Brewers Association, which is a certain description of what th- is defined as a craft brewer. But it's still growing. Uh, yeah. And if you look at pockets of the U.S., you know, there are huge growth areas. The southeast, where we are right now, in North Carolina, Florida, there's a lot of area for growth. California, uh, you know, up and down the coast. San Diego has, my gosh, San Diego County has, I think, almost 200 breweries in it and can sustain that. With any other industry, there's gonna be little businesses that fall off every now and then, but the drop rate of breweries is not equivalent to what it is for restaurants or bars, for example. A lot of people always point to, I know this is a talking point, Jim, uh, Jim Cook uh, from Boston Beer, Sam Adams always likes to talk about, there's something like 10,000 wineries in the US. And yeah. there's half that number of breweries right now. So why can't there be more? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, it's something that I don't think people really need to worry about. Okay, so, so a Brian out there who's not the Keystone Brian, but he's, he's now
0: drinking his beers. He knows a little more about beer. He's got, you know, like five, $6,000 to invest in, you know, starting his own little beer making uh,
1: thing. Hey. Should, you, should you think, oh, it's over, dude. Like, it's going to burst. Depends where that Brian is. Yeah. <laughs> I, there's like there's certainly places in the country where you know if you're opening up a brewery, say in Chicago or the broad Chicago land area right now, they went from they're at I don't know like 150ish breweries in that location right now, yeah. which is I know in the last few years has uh, at least quadrupled. Um, it's been insane growth. So maybe you know don't open up a brewery in downtown Chicago where it's going to cost a lot. But you know if you live if you live in an area where you know your city is 10,000 people and maybe there's not a lot in terms of competition that's an awesome spot to do it because I think it's it's been proven enough in the 5,000 plus breweries that are open in the US that uh, people can open up a craft brewery anywhere, yeah Uh, Yeah. a town of a few hundred or a city of millions Uh, so I think it's just Brian who has a few thousand dollars in expendable income (laughs) uh, spend your money wisely, uh, and just think twice. I, I, Brian's are a smart bunch, so I think that, uh, this Brian in particular will make some good decisions.
0: So instead of his Roth
1: IRA, he should put it in the, into Consult your, your significant <laughs> other or family members first. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, fly by the seat of your pants, you know? Who knows what's gonna happen tomorrow? YOLO, I guess. Okay, so, yeah.
0: so tangentially related
1: to a craft beer
0: bubble, have you ever waited in a line for a special beer release? There was that popular article, like the New York Times <laughs> had the other like a, couple, a month ago or something, about eleven-hour lines and these crazy lines people are waiting in overnight. Are you one of these guys? Have you ever been, done this experience?
1: So, so there's a there's a beer that's made here in North Carolina called Sexual Chocolate, made by Foothills Brewing, uh, and that's a huge thing every year. It's a limited release. It's this imperial stout that everyone goes crazy for. And that has been the beer that I have probably put the most effort toward, which was a brisk walk over two blocks to the closest bottle shop to get one of the bottles before they sold out. So you haven't
0: waited an 11-hour line, but you you made a brisk walk. Okay. A brisk
1: yes, yeah, that's <laughs> fair. It's fair. I don't think I would fit in very well in a line waiting 11 hours for a beer yeah. either. Yeah, I'd lose my mind on top of that.
0: So there's there's plenty of. Been- Beer trends, you know, so like IPAs have been the trend for a long time, but then it's been like sour now. Since you're in the scene, can you look into like a hazy crystal ball and see if, what the next one is? Like, is there something that's emerging right now that we're you, just not aware you of? You
1: just did an excellent alley, and I'm going to oop on this one. All right. The hazy crystal ball. Yeah. The most popular beer style right now is called New England IPA, uh, which okay. is a style of IPA that is made to look like gravy more or less so the what brewers will make it in a certain they'll use ingredients or use yeast in a certain way or hops in a certain way um where it just comes out in this kind of cloudy mess you know okay. when you think about beer you think about this kind of crystal clear thing you can look through and hold up to the sun and it shines right through uh, new england ipa is made to be the exact opposite um, which is just—it's uh, very, very popular right now, and this is the beer that everyone's waiting eleven hours in the so line for. So this is for. the emerging beer trend right now. Oh, it is definitely here. It's yeah, here. it okay. is here. Yeah. So this—this this is a beer. This is a style of beer where people will wait hours to buy four cans for twenty dollars. Yeah. Uh, because it will change their lives, yeah. and they can trade it for a hundred dollars if they want to, and yeah, it's—that's—that's uh, that's certainly the place to go and if you know if you're in a major city so new york right now there's some breweries that are doing it really well a lot of people always talk about other half if you're in massachusetts vermont you don't have to it's a stone's throw kind of thing where you can find it pretty quickly new england ipa after all Okay, um, so not
0: just IPA, specifically New England IPA. Yeah,
1: I mean, IPA, it's such a, I mean, that is the definitive American beer style. Yeah. You can say, I mean, it's not a, a lager, which uh, American adjunct longer, lager, which is Budweiser, Miller, all that kind of stuff. That's the best seller, but lager is what you'll find anywhere in the world as kind of the definitive U.S. style, American IPA. isn't it, American like, American is IPA, it more is like it? West
0: Coast IPA too? For oh, there's like all a different broad? kinds. Yeah, so there's or like West that's the more popular one, like abroad. That's like a known in America is like the West Coast hops. Yeah,
1: well, so I was in Iceland uh, in February uh, for a beer festival. Okay. Uh, it there's it's this event that's put on every year to celebrate the end of Icelandic beer prohibition, which was just <laughs> in 1989. Oh man. Uh, and so this that's year. Yeah, it, they had wine and spirits were legal, made legal in the 30s and 40s, I think it was. But it wasn't until 89 that beer became legal again because everybody, you'll, this was the issue here in America too, people think beer is the one that you'll abuse. Yeah. You'll drink too much beer and become an alcoholic and ruin society. Um, neither here nor there. Anyway, <laughs> so about 20 breweries at this, at this festival in, in Reykjavik, Uh, maybe six or seven American, others come from uh, Australia, England, Iceland, uh, Netherlands, all over. And uh, everyone wants to talk about IPA there. But most of all they want to talk about New England IPA. They want to talk about hazy, fruity flavored, these juicy IPAs. Uh, And that's all people want to talk about.
0: So (laughs) um, this is why I'm drunk. You have a cool feature on there, this uh, six-pack feature where Hmm. You can go onto each state and kind of like see what would be a good six pack of like six different varieties of beers for each state, which I thought was a really cool feature. Um, nice. I looked up some stuff from like Minnesota, where I've got, got roots, and like New York and all that. And then here now in North Carolina. So I'm going to end the beer questions with a, a six pack of just quick questions here. Oh, God. Okay. First one favorite beer? Pass. Huh? Pass. Uh, Alright, well then what about
1: your, your desert island beer, or your, 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 your last, part of your last meal beer, how about that? My last meal beer. Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, you know, I would probably say my, one of my, f- the beers that got me into beer was Ithaca Beer's Apricot Wheat. Um, <laughs> which I, essentially when I started drinking beer, uh, 21 mom, uh, was, that was one of the first ones, for sure. So that would probably, that's like one of those nostalgic ones that you just love because it was, it has such a prominent role in what you first started enjoying. So that would be it. Okay. Weirdest (laughs) beer you've ever had. Uh, Great American Beer Festival 2015, um, and a a stout made with Rocky Mountain Oysters, which are bull testicles. Oh, shit. (laughs) Tasted like a gym locker room. Oh, God.
0: <laughs> lives up to its ingredients. Um,
1: okay, most exotic in terms of like country of uh, brewing beer that uh, that I've drank or just yeah, exists. that you drank. Oh, the exotic country that. So uh, not i not exotic. Give okay, me like a, a country like what's probably the weirdest country you've had a beer from. Weirdest country of uh, Estonia. Estonia. Okay. Which was just kind of a weird pilsner. I mean. Nobody really talks about Estonia. That exists. Is there a weird one that exists? Okay, so in Iceland, so there was a brewer that I talked to, um, who has done festivals abroad outside of Iceland. Yeah, and I was talking to him about kind of what makes a traditional Icelandic beer. And so they made a beer. They smoked malt. So uh, he was trying to think about in terms of like what was popular in terms of Scandinavia. But what happens in, is in Iceland, because they have a lack of forestry from which they can pull wood, yeah. so when they smoke things, they use animal poop. So traditionally, they would take the dried animal poop, and then they would burn that to smoke things. So they made a beer by smoking malt with animal poop. And so he was <laughs> telling me that uh, whenever they go abroad to other festivals, all anybody wants to talk to him about is the poop beer. <laughs> uh, so, so there's yeah. that. Animal poop beer and bull ball beer, yeah, a lot of... <laughs> there's, um, there's a, gosh, uh, I'm going to lose such beer nerd cred. There's a traditional beer style um, that's made, I think it's South America, where uh, in order to start the fermentation of the grain, you use your spit. So you chew the grain and then you, you spit into the bucket essentially as it were Mm -hmm. and then you ferment your spit i I mean i guess if it works it works so an idea so adventurous brian out there who's looking to start your brewery find something to think about yeah
0: find a weird (laughs) uh find something that can get pr i guess for your brewery yeah Um, here's my spit beer you have a white whale beer one that you haven't tried that you wanted to so many
1: so many um so talk so the new england ipas i've only ever had two yeah I've had a heady Topper, which is from a famous brewery, The Alchemist, which is in Vermont. And then uh, a brewery that's not from, from where I grew up, um, Prison City, which is in Auburn, New York. They make a very famous New England IPA called Mass Riot, and I've had that. Any other, there's a brewery called Treehouse and Trillium, which are in Massachusetts, which are very famous for their New England IPAs. I've never had any of those. Um, there are beers. There's a brewery called Toppling Goliath, which makes very famous imperial stouts. I've never had any of those.
0: You can pass on this one too. Uh, overrated beer or brewery? Ooh.
1: Um, I would probably see. I think about it. We don't get
0: your taken away. Yeah, though, no. So, I don't uh, think about it in terms.
1: <laughs> I think of my own opinion, but I think of it in terms of maybe ratings and things like that. Yeah. Um, So something like, um, so there's a brewery in California called Russian River that makes a famous beer called Pliny the Elder, which many point to as the original double IPA, which is a phenomenal beer, and I love it. Um, But in terms of, I think, the attention it gets and where it stands and how IPAs are made and the way people enjoy IPAs today, there's it doesn't cross over it does not compute so it's a it's a classical double IPA it's a little bit bitter it's very dry but people are going nuts about these like very low bitterness, bitterness high juicy flavor IPAs people are still nuts about Pliny the elder rightfully so but it's just kind of it doesn't all match up i guess
0: okay expect expect hate mail from them um, good uh, yeah. good <laughs> it's, this is why i'm drunk dot blog <laughs> yeah um. Okay, so the last beer question. Yeah. Um, So, uh, Three Flights Brewery, they used to make a Brian Boru uh, Old English Red, which you mentioned earlier before before I started recording, you don't like red ales, so I'm assuming you wouldn't have had that. I haven't had it either, but I thought, oh, it's a Brian Boru. That's the only Brian beer Mm. I could find online that would be good to drink during the recordings (laughs) of these podcasts. Couldn't find it anywhere. I emailed Uh them. They got back to me and said it's been fully retired. So, that said, if Brian's were represented in a beer, do you have any ideas of what that could be? <laughs> you know, I've drank a... In place of the Brian Boru, uh-huh. we've drank a Guinness just because of the Irish ancestry of the name. Sure. Um, I'm just curious, Well, is there, a, is there a beer characteristic that represents Brian's, I guess?
1: Yeah, so... I know this applies to other names, but I think that... The collection of how you might spell Brian means. So I'm playing off of that. So it would be a style of beer to which there would be different variations, right? Okay. So you could spell Brian with an I. Yep. I spell my name Brian with a Y. Yep. I actually, no joke, met a Brian. He was an Uber driver in Charlotte this past weekend who spelled his name with an E. It was Y and E and <laughs> I don't know. Um, and then everybody who misspells it brain, yeah. I guess. Yeah because that's what you do. Uh, okay. So, uh, yeah, yeah. If that's the case, so you can take that look at all the different things you can do with it. A classic, well-liked style because all Brian should be well-liked. I'll say a wheat ale. A wheat uh, ale. Yeah. You can do many different things with a wheat ale. You can take different variations of it and it's something that should be well-liked and people can appreciate. Oh, good
0: answer. Wow. That was uh, very well
1: thought out. <laughs> that worked out much
0: better than I thought it would <laughs> Cheers that Alright <laughs> So actually One more question Before the Brian questions Not a beer question I guess Yeah what is your background Like where, where are you Originally from And how did you End up in Durham
1: Yeah um, So I grew up In uh, Geneva, New York uh, In the Finger Lakes Which ironically enough Is wine country In New York uh, Geneva is on The northern tip Of Seneca Lake Which has something Like 100 wineries I have no idea why it was. I just happened to fall backwards into beer. Um, I grew up there, went to school in Ithaca, New York. Uh, I actually came to, I love telling this story, my wife, should she listen to this, always gives me crap about this. So, (laughs) um, I was working in newspapers covering Rochester, New York, and I decided that I wanted to change. So I quit my job, and the agreement was, uh, my wife and I were gonna take a summer figure out what the hell we were going to do with our lives and then move. The original plan was to move to Boulder, Colorado, where I have family and I've always adored. Uh, this was in 2008, which we didn't know at the time is the beginning of the recession. And so I was just nothing. I spent probably about two and a half months applying for jobs out in California from New York and nobody would was biting. So I asked my wife one day, is there anywhere else in the country that you would consider living? She had spent the past three months reading Nicholas Sparks books, which all take place on the eastern coast of North Carolina, typically in the Outer Banks. We had never been in North Carolina before. We had driven through on 95 going to Florida once before. And she said to me that she thought North Carolina sounded like a nice place to live. (laughs) So you're here because of Nicholas Sparks. (laughs) So I applied, (laughs) the first job I applied to was a job at Duke University which was a job posted on a JournalismJobs.com board. I had an interview a couple weeks later, and I got the job, and I moved to North Carolina because of Nicholas Sparks. Oh, man. I mean, it's been okay. It's been a good change. I like North Carolina, so North I God, guess awesome. I guess I should be appreciative yeah, should. of Nicholas Sparks in a way. Um, so, <laughs> all right, all right Brian Nicholas questions Sparks. now. Let's get into it. Yeah. Do you know why your parents named you Brian? Uh, I don't. I know the alternative was if I was going to be a girl was Megan, however.
0: Oh. Well, that worked out well.
1: <laughs> so here I am. Yeah.
0: So uh, you don't know then why it was spelled with a Y versus an I then, right?
1: Uh, I, so my parents, so I have a younger sister. My parents gave my younger sister a middle name Elizabeth spelled with an S. So I just assume it's because they have, are a little bit quirky or perhaps just have good taste.
0: Oh. Shots
1: fired. <laughs> I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave that one hanging. Uh, so do you have any Irish ancestry at all? Or what's your ancestry? Uh, so I don't know it with any kind of depth. I know my dad's side of the family uh, has roots back to Russia. My mom's side, Germany, and what I assume to be England. Um, per, uh, so there certainly could have been some kind of connection in terms of other countries surrounded by or taken over by historically okay but since
0: so you don't know the reason behind the name it's yeah. not necessarily
1: like the Irish ancestry had anything to do with it anymore. no no I um. mean as far as I know they just kind of looked at a book and just <laughs> yeah, yeah. pointed their finger at, most at people, the bees and there it most is people. I will say so I looked this up actually the prominence of Brian as a name yeah which has dropped precipitously in Since the last the 70s, 30 years yeah, yeah it was something like the in, ni- in the 70s in 1980 it was a top 15 name in the country and in England it was like top like four it was like fourth or something we're we're struggling here yeah. I think the the social security administration had it at it was like 189 or something like that yeah, in 2015 we were, we were right in there with
0: like yeah Brian's Patrick's and Kevin's we were like the trendy Irish names and now now it's like Liam and Braden and Connor are now the new trendy Irish Thanks names. pop culture. <laughs> well it's like, it's that thing
1: where when Twilight came out, the popular names for children that year were the names of the characters from the movie.
0: Um, so do, you have, do you have siblings names, do you have a Megan then? Uh...
1: So my younger sister is Emily, okay. and my older brother is Josh.
0: Okay, so Josh, Brian,
1: Emily. Emily, yeah.
0: Okay. That fits in okay. And what about pets, Uh, their name, or have you named
1: uh, anything like uh, Yes, so I have two cats at home, which I originally wanted to name, just give them people names. I thought like Steve and Larry would be fun. That was nixed. Uh, My wife had veto power over suggestion, so I had to go to backups. So we named them after dictators instead, Caesar and Napoleon. I I wanted them to have character.
0: I feel like a, there's a, a trend that's emerged in doing this project like Brian's are good at naming things <laughs> two-part question dead or alive uh, if you could choose one other Brian to meet who would it be
1: and then uh, who is your favorite Brian yeah uh, so I know I would love to meet uh, another Brian Roth who lives and works about 12 miles down the road from where I do <laughs> who is a famous biology professor at University of North Carolina Chapel Hill and you haven't met him yet. I have not met him. I do. I occasionally get emails that were meant for him. And uh, I they think get he has a news side, alerts. A uh,
0: beer blog, and they're just like sending. I me. like
1: to think that people ask him about me, and he gets emails <laughs> that were meant for me. Okay. That's just the way the universe works. Um, so I'd love to meet him. And then it was a question. I'm sorry. It was. And then the other long- question is okay. So meet, and then favorite favorite um i really uh, brian cranston that's right i was thinking of brian cranston um who i just i think he's a wonderful actor and he's very very good there was an interview i listened to that he did once where there's a time he um before he got real serious into acting he did a motorcycle trip with his i think it was his brother around the country and they stopped in florida and for a brief moment they were wanted for murder in florida because they got uh they were incorrectly identified at the wrong place at the wrong time that's insane. <laughs> so there's a Brian story for you. Oh, yeah. Well,
0: let's do a, a Brian trivia question. Um, yeah. What movie about a Brian was so funny that it was banned in Norway? Was it Life of Brian? Correct. <laughs> nice. So yeah, its themes of re- <laughs> religious satire were controversial at the time of its release, so it was actually banned in Norway and Ireland. So. The marketing campaign for it in Sweden touted it as being so funny it was banned in Norway, which is also hilarious. Excellent. (laughs) Hard question. Uh, If you had to choose a first name other than
1: Brian, uh, what would it be? Oh yeah, so um, in another life, I wanted to do radio. Okay. And so uh, in high school and college, I I wanted to do sports broadcasting specifically. Uh, and so I did do just like regular DJ stuff as well. And the name I actually used on air because I thought Brian was a bad DJ name was Jesse. Oh man, you, I just you went by a pen name for as a DJ for <laughs> as Jesse. At, le- at least it wasn't just like DJ farts a lot or something like that, you know. I I thought Je- I was trying to think in like in terms of my last name. I thought Jesse Roth. Yeah. Kind of paired well together, and I just thought Jesse, as terms of just a one-name thing, was okay. And it's
0: probably also good because maybe you have like some uh, some digital presence attached to Jesse Roth, and you can just throw that history aside and not have it be attached to Brian Roth anymore.
1: <laughs> well, cat's out of the bag now, at least, so people know where to look. Well, for yeah,
0: now yeah. Nah, nah. <laughs> I mean, this is a community of uh, Brian's that we all support each other and support your past mistakes. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, memorable instances, anything memorable of your name being the spelled Brain,
1: even though um, you're a Y. Yeah, so I don't get Brain, I get Byron, uh, actually. Yeah, people yeah. will inverse the Y, yeah. and so they think it's Byron. I don't know if I've ever gotten Brain at <laughs> all. Uh, I know I've gotten Byron both in spelling and in actual, like, introductions and people who just don't understand Okay, I've heard from uh,
0: Y-Bryans that have gotten the Brain spelling. like every so often that's uh
1: well shame on the other people then yeah that's a failure of humanity right there
0: okay so i guess find uh find brian roth on this is why i'm drunk and in beer advocate and all all about beer and good beer hunting right that is correct okay good well thanks brian (laughs) thank you brian